what are my dreams? Um, I guess people's dreams come from the traumas that they suffered uh, as a result of the uh, series of beliefs, patterns, thoughts instilled in their psyche by their caregivers. So if you look at interviews of kids asked, being asked, what would you like to become when you grow up? They'll tell you, astronaut, doctor, this, teacher. It's whatever their parents told them is acceptable to become. So if I think about what my dreams, my own personal dreams are, I guess it's just feeling better. That's it. Feeling better. Finding that one thing that makes you feel better, which is this right now, doing makeup. Uh, Creating looks makes me feel a little bit better. And uh, once you've kind of established a, a a point of attraction within yourself, whereby you follow that one thing that makes you feel better in a world where nothing, nothing can make you feel better or in a world where everything and all its elements are constantly triggering you triggering triggering all sorts of kind of negative emotions like anger grief sadness hostility feeling like you don't belong loneliness i guess the one thing that you can do for now is to find that one thing that makes you feel uh, uh, a little bit more comfort or that you're at home within yourself just a little bit more or that it might somehow inspire you somehow you know to keep chasing that and uh, I guess everything will fall in, in into place or in your lap if you continue doing that Because I see that a lot of people these days are very confused and disorientated and kind of frazzled to what they really like. It's because what they were taught that they liked in childhood was dictated on them. It's not what they really like. And that's what we call lost. That's what lost is. The things that they really liked and disliked were not allowed to be showcased in childhood. Therefore, they grew up into this adult which who didn't really feel any comfort or pleasure doing the things that they were taught that they might have liked or disliked. Or the the things that they had to kind of chase, um, or develop into uh, 
you know, specific like professional career or chase a specific type of uh, person with a specific type of character because that's what it was kind of accepted, acceptable in the family growing up or that might have been the model, the role model in their family. So yeah, just follow whatever makes you feel better for now. That means uh, <clears throat> I think I wasn't necessarily seen as much or as uh, intently as I wanted to be when I was a kid. I had I had a job, uh, at least in my own mind, and that was to make my mother feel better. Uh, she was uh, kind of uh, uh, very ill in many ways, and uh, so it was to make her feel better. And I think ultimately, I imitated my father. He was a very funny guy, but also I I felt some need, and maybe. It, I don't know whether they created it or I created it, but I felt the need to uh, make them feel that their life was worthwhile, that they did something special just by the very fact that they brought me into the world. Yeah. So from a very young age, I wanted to convince them that I was a miracle. And then I wanted to convince the world that I was a miracle. <laughs> and uh, and now I want to convince the world that I'm just like them. So you went from convincing first you're a miracle and then that you are just like them. Yes. And how does that play out today? in terms of convincing the world you are just like them, that you are. Well, what I'm finding is, is an interesting thing because I have a lot of people asking me, well, are you, are you afraid that people won't accept you? And I know that in my life, and at least in my, you know, the circle of people I know and know my uh, friends that know my work, it seems like, and even people I talk to like you, uh, it seems like people are almost waiting for it that they've suspected that there's another uh, yeah. level to me and they're and they're kind of uh, intrigued and interested in what that might be it's it's it's, it's that and it's an addiction obviously <laughs> i mean i'd love an addiction to, to just knowing yourself yeah an addiction to trying to figure out what, uh, and maybe this is an impossible uh, task but you know everybody's looking for bliss you know in some way or another and I, I think I've, you know, I've come to the realization lately that uh, that that bliss comes in waves, and there, and everybody gets a certain amount of it. Yeah. But but, <laughs> but in, in between, it, it's just it is, hard work yeah. being in this body. You know? And that it is the unwise person to expect bliss will be there all the time. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. But you look for it. You look for it, and you wonder why you're off the beam all the time, or mm. whatever. So I'm constantly examining myself. I probably do it too much. I've always overthought everything. I mean, you're reading Emerson, and you read. Yeah, no. yeah, oh, right. Intuition. Which is like the big, the big, the big thing for me, you know, yeah. in life right now is the uh, the uh, excerpt from uh, the compensation essay he did on compensation, where it talks about that man would uh, recognize, uh, would uh, see the mermaid's head, but not the dragon's tail. Yeah. And these are this is something that happens over and over and over in my life, in relationships, and in uh, in choices that I make professionally. You know, a lot of times you just don't want to believe in the bad. But the bad is there, you know. The negativity is there, or the 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 obvious drawback to the situation is there. But you just go, I want, yeah. and and that's that comes down to thy will be done and everything biblical. It's you know, it's uh, so I, I'm always struggling with these concepts. It's too, my desire is my only problem in this world. Your desire, yes, to to do your appetite, my appetite, yeah, absolutely, yeah, mm -hmm. to prove everything and to be everything. But you. Are.
It's our intention. Our intention is everything. Nothing happens on this planet without it. Not one single thing has ever been accomplished without intention. So I started thinking about my life and I started thinking about this conference and what we're about. And, and I looked back and I thought, well, I was two people my whole life. I was in the living room entertaining people, being a monkey, you know, doing my thing for the company and, and trying to relieve my mother who was suffering. She had uh, arthritis and vitis and everything, everything under the sun that was nagging at her. And she was depressed. And I wanted her to be free. And I wanted her to realize that her life was worth something because she gave birth to someone who was worth something. And then I would go into my room and I would sit with a legal pad. <laughs> I was a little kid. And I would sit there and I would try to figure out what it meant, what it was all about. Why are we here? What is this? And one day I read something from Buddha that said that all spirituality is about relieving suffering. And I suddenly realized that's what I'm doing in the other room. <laughs> and, and I'm aligned. You know, this my purpose is aligned with this. So I felt incredibly lucky. I lose sight of that all the time. I get caught up in different concerns and ego concerns. But I'm so lucky to be a part of this community and to, to, to do something that is of value. And I, I really cherish that. And we are all one thing. It really is true. Can I speak to the, the, the person in the last row, in the very last seat against the wall? Is there, is there someone back there that can say hello? What's your name? Andrea, are, are you aware that, do you have the distinct palpable feeling that your intention created this evening, as well as Melissa's? Do you understand that, that all of this, this entire event is happening inside you? We'll just try to feel it for a second, because it's a trip, man. Some people go to the Super Bowl. I am the Super Bowl, man. I swear. My friends are all going, did you see that play? That was great. I'm like, yeah, but the energy coming out of me right now, man, is unbelievable. I'm just sitting there. I'm the stadium. I'm the vendors outside. I'm the crack dealer on the corner. I'm everything, man. There's no end to it. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun. So I hope you can feel that. And I hope you understand that you are one of the creators of this evening, that your intentions and your desires created this evening as well. And then I hope you are able to ask yourself, why did I get such a crappy seat? And be okay with it. I mean, you're in the last row, in the last seat. And yet you created this. That's gotta be 
It's a really selfless thing to do. So understand, based on some things that I read about you, you know, that in the end, it's really a lot about self-respect. Yes. Yeah. It is because you know yourself. Yeah. And it is, well, yeah. And self-respect is certainly one of the major problems in the world. Self-esteem is, is the reason for most ills. And, uh, you know, desiring what we don't have. I mean, Appleton is me, or I am Peter Appleton. Yes. How did you mean that? Well, in, in the respect that he has this yearning, this yearning that uh, that is more important to him, uh, again, false gods. Right. Uh, when you put uh, something so in the forefront of your life, some desire in the forefront of your life, that everything else starts to suffer. Uh, uh, I, I understand that. I understand that because I've gone that way and, and I had to pull myself back, whatever. But it's the yearning that 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 is can be something very positive, it can create wonderful things, but when it, uh, when it makes you uh, negate your life and the people in your life, it, it becomes, uh, or, you know, again, like, uh, when it makes you uh, bear false witness, you know, uh, and uh, sell somebody out, it's, it's just not worth having, you know, that, that yearning is the tough part, the yearning to, to kind of have that, but not make it completely uh, consume you. And that would be the selling out of his friends, selling out who, of his friends who, who, yeah. who were not guilty of anything and he's who living didn't in even a, know. He's living in a place of uh, fear of loss, right. you know, and that, that's always a dangerous character. The guy who's afraid of loss is a, is a dangerous guy because he's the guy in Hollywood that stabs you in the back or, you know, turns on somebody or whatever, they, you know, trying to protect if you know street. If you know a man's fear, then you can conquer him, some say. Uh, truly. I mean, uh, that's what the Blacklist era was about. Some yeah. Somebody... You know, uh, McCarthy uh, sat back and said, "My gosh, what a what a wonderful fear to take advantage of, yeah. and uh, and to bring myself to power through it." You know. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. Yes. 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 It would finally be true. Yes. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. The Big Short. 
maybe if I continue starving myself, I could be more worthy of developing relationships with others and being around others. Maybe I'll get to feel a little bit more at ease and maybe I'll get to feel a little bit more whole within myself, which is a contradiction in itself. You can't live a life worth living and fulfilling on an empty stomach. And maybe when I, when I'm done gluing these uh, uh, very diverse and eclectic and cool gems to my eyelids, maybe I could, I could feel just a little bit more complete and uh, worthy of being seen and worthy of being. Um, understood as a human being where people might be like oh she looks cool let's ask her something and let's let's get her number <laughs> go out with her and show her to the world and whilst we show her to the world we can show that we are cool and we are worthy oh it's so sad my attachment to those things it's been a part of the evolution of uh, ego is is to uh, spend your uh, first half of your life acquiring and adding thinking you can add to yourself mm -hmm. and and it looks great I mean it looks great when you got a cool car and you got good nice clothes and mm -hmm. you know and you're uh, and you've done something that people admire you know when I was about 28 after a decade as a professional comedian I realized one night in LA that the purpose of my life had always been to free people from concern. Choosing to free people from concern got me to the top of a mountain. Look where I am. Look what I get to do. Everywhere I go, this, I'm going to get emotional because when I tap into this, it really is extraordinary to me. I did something that made people present their best selves to me wherever I go. I am at the top of the mountain, and I was, and I, the, only, the only one I hadn't freed was myself. I played the guy that was free from concern so that people who watched me would be free from concern. And that's when my search for identity deepened. I wondered who I'd be without my fame. Who would I be if I said things that people didn't want to hear? We don't matter. We don't You're supposed matter. to say, you know, we're important. You're yeah. supposed to say, it's all going to be all right. And you're supposed to say uh, that, you know, whatever you dream can come true. And you're supposed to say all those things. I do believe in manifestation, power of that kind of stuff. But I don't believe that any of it matters. You know, and, um, this mattering is, a, is to me a, a human construct. And, um... I think we're in an age of information, and in an age of information, ignorance is a choice. And because of technology, we have access to so much content, and information creates awareness. And awareness is consciousness, and you can't have consciousness without energy. They're, they work together. So there's an energetic change, I think, that's taking place in the world right now, where people are so informed 
that old models, old paradigms are beginning to break down, whether it's the medical model, the religious model, the educational model, journalism, uh, the economy, you know, uh, politics. It's all beginning to uh, come to the surface because something else has to come out. And, and I think that one of the things that uh, people are realizing is that you don't have to be a Buddhist monk to do this or uh, a nun with 40 years of devotion. You just got to understand the formula. And just like any skill or anything you learn, you got to go from thinking to doing to being. You got to take knowledge, you, you create the experience, and if you keep doing it over and over again, you start getting a skill or you start getting wise about how to do it. And you, you know that you know how to do it. Well, in the last 10 years, we have assembled a scientific team. And let's see if you can really make significant brain changes. I, I don't want those changes to just be in your mind. I want them to be in your brain. I want to be able to see before and after pictures to say that person has a significant change after a traumatic brain injury or anxiety or depression or a cyclic mood disorder or a stroke. We want to see that there's been significant change. At the same time, let's measure your brain in real time and let's look to see what that transformation process looks like. And in the discovery, Lewis, of that process, we gained so much knowledge about what that transformational process looks like. In other words, I can tell you without a doubt that if you're analyzing your life right now within some disturbing emotion, that 100% of the time you're going to make your brain worse. If you think about your life, if you're stuck in an emotion, oh, like you're frustrated, yeah, you're yeah. angry, you're fearful, resentful, resentful and you're thinking within that emotional state. In other words, you can't think greater than how you feel. That means then you were thinking in the past because those emotions are a record or residue of the past. So we see people in the, in the process of change that are analyzing uh, in, in duality or polarity. That kind of drives the brain into higher states of arousal. And, and further away from true change. Mm. So we did, we've done thousands and thousands and thousands of brain scans and, and we now know that there's a formula to create greater brain coherence, greater brain efficiency, to make your brain work better. And when your brain works better, you work better. At the same time, it requires a clear intention and an elevated emotion to begin to change your energy and to change your life. And nobody changes until they change their energy, right? So then how do you get a person out of resentment and frustration into joy and freedom if why would they feel grateful or joyful or free if the experience hasn't happened? So most people are spending the majority of their life waiting for something out there to take away their emptiness or pain or the resentment in here. Well, if they're, they're waiting their whole life in separation or lack, then and, and we create reality, then the lack is driving certain thoughts, which is creating more separation and more lack. So teaching people then to begin to condition their body emotionally before the evidence takes place in their life is breaking a significant habit, right? Yes. So instead of living by cause and effect, now we're beginning to cause and effect. So the moment you start feeling whole and grateful, we now know your healing will begin at that moment. Yes. The moment you start feeling um, worthy and abundant, your wealth is coming. You know, you're generating a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of wealth. And so, how does someone feel worthy though if they've always been told they're not worthy? Yeah. Well, so let well, me. Well, that's the story they tell yeah, themselves. Yeah. Like, I'm not worth it because yeah. she didn't say yes when I asked her on a date. Right. 
because he broke up with me because I got yeah. fired because my parents left me how did I, how am I worth it when yeah. there's so much evidence or story right. around a negative well thing let's stop telling the story of your past and let's start telling the story of your future and and people who aren't defined by a vision of the future for the most part are left with memories of the past the, your brain is a record of the past it's an artifact of everything you've learned and experienced in this moment so most people wake up in the morning and they start thinking about their problems yeah. and those problems are memories that are tattooed in the brain that are associated to certain people and things at certain times and places so the moment the person wakes up clean slate they start thinking about the problems they're thinking in the past you believe your thoughts have something to do with your destiny well there's a possibility that your past is going to be your future mm. every one of those problems has an emotion associated with it so then the moment you start recalling the problem you start feeling unhappy now your body's in the past because thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body and how you think and how you feel creates a state of being so people reaffirm their identity based on the past right and it turns out that the redundancy of doing that conditioning only requires requires an image and an emotion and most people are unconsciously conditioning their body into the familiar past into the known so now if you're in the familiar past and in the known you're going to crave the predictable future right that's the known as well and there's only one place where the unknown exists and that's the eternal present moment that's the sweet spot the generous present moment so you got you got to labor to get that person beyond the emotions that keep them tacked or anchored to the past and yes it takes an effort to do that but if you keep working with the formula you'll reach that elegant moment where there's a liberation of energy mm. and now your body as the unconscious mind the objective mind does not believe it it's living in the same past experience 24 hours a day because you're liberating the body from that emotional state so you ask the person why are you so unhappy why are you so frustrated why are you so resentful the moment you their brain is going to associate that emotion to a past event to a memory to a memory yeah. that's because they have nothing to look forward to in their future so if you're not being defined by a vision of the future it just means to me that you're more in love with your past than you are with the future. So how do you teach people to believe in a future that they can't see or experience with their senses yet, but they've thought about enough times in their mind that their brain is literally changed to look like the event has already occurred? The latest research in neuroscience says that's absolutely possible. Mm. We know that. And how do you teach a person to select a new possibility in their future? and begin to emotionally embrace that future before it's made manifest to such a degree that their body as their unconscious mind is believing it's living in that future reality in the present moment and they're signaling new genes and new ways ahead of the environment now to their body begins to change to look like the event has already occurred we've proven that that's possible now think about this so the more you think about your desired future the joy the gratitude the uh, the feelings you want to have that are more positive the more you think about it as a, as a future thing happening the more your body shifts now exactly so your body is believing it's living in that future reality now. in the present moment now think about this the stronger the emotion you feel from some condition in your life the more altered you feel inside of you the more you narrow your focus on cause and the brain freezes an image and takes a snapshot and that memory now is embossed in the brain it's branded in there so then 
people think neurologically within the circuits of those past experiences and they feel chemically within the boundaries of those emotions and the stronger the betrayal the stronger the trauma the more the body's living in the past right, right. so then so how to reverse that so now if you truly got passionate about a future we've all done this you get a wild idea in your mind and uh -huh. you start holding on to that vision and you're preoccupied with it all of a sudden the thought in your mind becomes the experience and you start feeling the the energy of the future yeah. now the stronger the emotion you feel from that vision the more you're going to pay attention to the picture in your mind and now you're remembering your future and vice and, versa the stronger you pay attention to the feeling of the past pain you're going to create the pain in this moment exactly so then so it requires a coherent brain and we now know that there's a formula for that and we've got beautiful research to show that people can do it they just have to practice and it requires a coherent heart because resentment frustration impatience creates a very incoherent heart <laughs> yeah. and when that heart becomes incoherent you stop trusting yourself there's no energy there you get you stop trusting in your future wow. so then if there's physical evidence in your brain and body physical evidence to look like the event has already occurred it's quite possible you'll be thinking neurologically within the circuits of your future and you'll begin to feel chemically within the boundaries of that emotion of your future mm -hmm. and how you think and how you feel is your state of being and now your state of being is living in the future instead of the past now the moment you disconnect from the emotion of your future because traffic or some coworker or your ex or whatever people come up with now you're back to the energy of your past oh. and now you're going to start looking for analyzing why hasn't it happened well if you're feeling the emotion of your future why would you look for it because you would feel like it already happened and that mm. is the place where the magic happens so then you can't just do this get up and then return back to your old state of being you got to maintain that modified state How of do you mind maintain and it that, when, when life practice. happens well let me finish if i punch it, you in the face right now how do you make <laughs> well of course of course i mean we all take blows in our lives yeah. and and we all react emotionally but the question is how long are you going to react right right okay. so then if you can't mediate and regulate your emotional reactions and those emotions linger for days that's years for some people mood and then a month's temperament years personality trait so then the person's personality is literally based on the past but they don't know that because they're doing it over and over again it becomes a subconscious program so now if it requires a coherent brain and a coherent heart then we have to train people how to self-regulate so they've done thousands and thousands of measurements partnered with the heart math institute to teach people how to create and sustain heart coherence how do we do it well besides joining your workshop what's a simplified version i'm sure it takes more time than well it really doesn't it really doesn't it just requires getting still closing your eyes putting your attention on your heart changing your breath so that you move into the present moment and when you slow your breathing down you slow your brain waves down when you slow your brain waves down now you're accessing your autonomic nervous system so then you train a person how to open their heart and feel an elevated emotion and it takes a little practice and just like a flower that, that takes time to bloom mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of time but if you work in trading the resentment the frustration or the impatience for gratitude appreciation and thankfulness and you keep at it there'll come a moment where that system switches on and now you're feeling grateful for no reason at all right? that's, that's not a bad thing because gratitude the emotional signature of gratitude means 
something's happening to you. Something has happened to you. You're receiving something or you just received something. So your body then, when you're feeling gratitude, is in the perfect state of receiving. Mm -hmm. So then that means then you'll accept, believe, and surrender to the thoughts equal to the emotional state of gratitude. If you're living in resentment, you're living in fear, you're living in, in, in patience, you could say, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, and with all you want, and that thought's gonna stop right at the brainstem and never make its way to the body because the your body's- not feeling or because why? Because you're feeling resentment. And that thought isn't, the, that thought is not consistent with the emotion of resentment. Resentment has a different set of thoughts, right? In other words, once you start opening your heart, it begins to move into coherence. It begins to produce a measurable magnetic field up to three meters wide. Now that's frequency, that's energy. And all that energy, that frequency carries information, carries an intent. So then when you're feeling gratitude and your heart is open, you're broadcasting energy into the field. Now, a frequency. A frequency. Yeah. You lay the intent of the thought of your health or your wealth that frequency can carry the thought of your wealth. It can mm. carry the thought of your health. If you're suffering, you can't, suffering does not carry, that energy does not carry the thought of your wealth. It carries a different set of thoughts. So then, so then we're teaching people how to self-regulate because if you're gonna believe in that future that you're imagining with all of your heart, it better be open and activated. Right, right. And you better know how to self-regulate and you have to know the moment you disconnect from the energy of your future because of some circumstance in your life and you lose that feeling, if you're practicing it on a daily basis with your eyes closed, then the next level is to be able to open your eyes and do it right in the moment and be able to self-regulate and change the, the frustration from some experience in your life back to the energy of your future. Now, that requires great awareness and great effort, but if you have a community of people that are practicing this on a daily basis and they're connected to their future because that's where their, their mind is, mm -hmm. um, they begin to want the future more than the emotions of the past. So we've done enough measurements now, Lewis, to know that we can teach people how to do that and we have evidence that people can sustain it for 45 minutes to an hour. It's a skill now. They know that they know how to do it. So now they have brain coherence and heart coherence. Well, once the heart begins to become orderly and coherent, it acts as an amplifier and it drives energy to the brain. So now the brain is getting more energy once the heart is open and then you're thinking a different set of thoughts. And those thoughts produce different chemicals for you to feel more of that. And here comes uh, nitric oxide from oxytocin and then all of a sudden your heart literally starts to swell. It literally begins to open up. And there's more energy going there, and now you're coming from a different level of mind.